Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this is the weekly podcast for your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is March 17th, 2014. Yes, it's St. Patrick's Day, everybody. This is episode 69. And you can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Also, you can find us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can also find us at iTunes, Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, Creamsicle, Ice Cream Sandwich, and gingerbread and all other sorts of delectable goodness. You should also check us out on social media at facebook.com slash BEVcast. You can also check us out at Google Plus and on Twitter at Bird's Eye View BAL. That's at Bird's Eye View BAL. And I'm here with my uh, co-host, my color commentator, my big boy, Jake English. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, thank you. Before we go any further, a quick advertisement for the Amazon link at birdsofviewbaltimore.com. Look, let's just say you need something. We all need something. You go ahead, you can click on through our link. You help you by buying the whatever. You help us by helping us keep the lights on. It's a win-win, and win if you can, Amazon. So I, I urge you all, do it. Click it. Buy it. And with that, something that I'm really looking forward to this week, Scotty, it's time for the drink of the week. Now, what are you drinking this week? Um, I am drinking a Trogues Cultivator Hell's Bach beer. That sounds delightful. Yeah, it's pretty good. Not not only is that a, a fine product and something that I would usually be incapable of, I've had that beer. Really? And it is delicious. Wow. Yes. I know. It's shocking. I'm really shocked. But Trogues is a go back to you for, for a while. So Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I myself am drunk, uh, drinking our first uh, for first recipe for the drunk Gary Thorne for the 2014 season. Okay. And um, we're going to bend a few rules here tonight. Because Don't this, we always? This is actually the drunk Barry Thorne. Excuse me? This is the drunk Barry Thorne. Barry. Yeah, Barry. Barry. Yeah, the drunk Barry Thorne. Let me, uh, let me just explain what's in it, and then I'll give you the, the brief story behind it. Um, so here, we what, what you do is you take uh, a pound of orange gummy bears. Orange gummy bears. Orange gummy bears. How the heck did you get a pound of orange gummy bears? I'll get there. You okay. take an, a pound of orange gummy bears. Okay. You take, uh, we'll call it two cups of rum. Okay. Are we talking like dark rum here? Yeah, or? spiced rum. Okay. Just your, your so, general. So you're talking dark rum. Gotcha. Yeah. You, you put the pound of gummy bears in a bowl, okay. a glass bowl, a metal bowl, something yeah. like that. You put the, the two cups of rum mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the bowl. Yeah. Cover it. Throw it in the fridge overnight. Okay. Okay. Here's what happens overnight. The uh, the gremlins that that do the work hop into your fridge. They put the gummy juice, the gummy bear juice, into the rum, and they make the gummy bears themselves soak up all of the uh, all of the rum. It, it's gremlins. Yeah, it's delicious. I believe, so, I believe it's called molecular diffusion. So here's what you have: <laughs> you basically have um, gummy bears that are deadly with rum. And jungle juice left over. Jungle juice. I'm not familiar with this term. It's a uh, fruity goodness with alcohol in it. Okay. So here's what you do. You take so That's a, what they call it at American <laughs> University. <laughs> many things. Uh, you take uh, maybe a, a pint glass, fill it a quarter to a half of the way full of ginger ale. You fill the rest of it with this uh, jungle juice that's left over. You toss in a couple of the, the gummy bears for a garnish. And it's actually delicious. And if you snack on the gummy bears afterwards, do so very, very slowly. I've had one of these gummy bears. The uh, chewy center is not to be messed with. So this is this is our first recipe for the drunk Gary Thorne. This is again the drunk Barry Thorne. Um, preparing for this recipe was a little embarrassing because uh, it was Sunday night. 
I happen to be wearing uh, an, an Orioles jersey. You don't say. I know, I know. And I threw on a ball cap before I left the house, like like I do, right? So I, I go to the store, and I'm in the aisle, the candy aisle with like, you know, the 900 candies on the walls. And uh, I was hoping I could find just like one candy that was all like orange gummies. Um, but that was not to be. So I'm there trying to pick out all of the orange gummy bears out of the, the gummy bear dispensary. So you're that guy. I'm that guy. So I'm this guy decked out in Orioles, picking out orange gummy bears, a grown-ass man in the, in the child's aisle. And the, the conversations were hysterical because first I could hear people like kind of chattering behind me about it. And I was trying to like be nice, like, you know, get out of people's way if they needed to get in or whatever. But eventually people started like asking me what the hell I was doing. So it turned into like, oh, you just, you just want the like, orange ones. How like come? the police? Right. <laughs> you just want the orange ones. How come? And I was like, oh, well, the, the truth is stranger than any fiction you could make up. And that was my first go-to line mm-hmm. because it took about maybe 20 minutes to pull all of the orange uh, gummies out to get a pound of, so of gummy bears. So you're standing in the candy aisle at a Wegmans for 20 minutes just pulling individual gummy bears out. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you've got clearly prop, big it, problems here. It's a lot harder to get a pound of gummies in just one color than you would believe. Now, you can actually buy them online in one color, but I was afraid they wouldn't get here in time for recording, and I really wanted to make sure we had this drink in person. So uh, our drink of the week is... The Drunk Berry Thorn, I encourage everyone to go ahead and make this drink this week, all right, and tell us how it works out for you. And, and if you come up with a, a little, you know, twist to it that makes it that much better, please let us know. We'll put the recipe on the website, so just that, go there. It'll be in the show notes. I also promised last week to come up with a concoction I would termed the Drunk Crab. So uh, my, my concoction was um, one and a half parts of habanero infused tequila. That doesn't involve the gremlins, but you basically just put a habanero pepper that's been cut into some tequila. You let that go for 24 to 48 hours. You pull it out. Um, you use that as your base. And then you put in one part of orange juice, one part of triple sec. Um, you do a splash of grenadine on top in order to give it that orangish, more orangish color. Um, and then you coat the rim of the glass with some Old Bay. And it turns it into a very fine, um, a little bit spicy margarita that has a very, very distinct red color. Um, and personally, when I was drinking this this past Friday, I swallowed it repeatedly until I said, oh, mercy. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I actually had some at your house on Friday. It was a fine drink. Uh, I think these are both excellent candidates for the Drunk Gary Thorn. Um, speaking of the Drunk Gary Thorn, one of our sister wives had a suggestion for the Drunk Gary Thorn. And this is from at B-Morons or the Baltimoreans. They recommended the Drunk Gary Thorn be this recipe. Three parts gin, one part Jack Daniel whiskey. One part pine tar, one part hair gel in a sippy cup. All right. Well, I can't recommend that people try that, but if you do, let make sure know. you let us know how it yeah. works out. Take some pictures, too. All right. What do you say we talk about some actual baseball, shall we? All right. Let's go to it. Let's go to the medical wing. I think we should do the medical wing. All right. So uh, first up in the medical wing is uh, Manny Machado. Manny Machado is not going to make his scheduled visit to the doctor, which I believe almost any Orioles fan has heard about at this point. I've seen many reactions to this, both good and bad. I think lots of people are basically saying, don't rush back Manny because we don't you know, want to ruin his career. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. But a lot of people also have been taking a very negative view of this and saying, oh, this can't bode well. I'm still going to come back to the aspect of you're just starting off in spring training. You're working through all that scar tissue. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's just them being overly cautious and not wanting to push the situation. If something's flaring up, go ahead and take a few days off and let's just see what happens. Let's not rush back. You know, the likelihood of him getting to opening day was pretty unrealistic in my opinion as it is. If we have to start him in April or May, so be it. Well, remember when it happened, I mean, we all thought he was dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that first podcast, we had to record that night and it was pretty grim. Yeah. Um, But the other thing to keep in mind that I, I think is interesting is that when you look at this club, you don't look at the idea of not having Manny Machado for possibly a month and think, Oh God, that's it. Our season's over. We can't possibly overcome that. When you have a player like Manny Machado, who means as much to a lineup, to a defense, to a, a team as he does, and to think that if we didn't have him for a little bit of time, uh, we'd probably be okay. I think that says great things about the team. Um, I think back to the uh, 2012 season with um, Evan Langoria going down for the Tampa Bay Rays, and that t- basically changed that entire team around um, dramatically. So. 
You know, I, I tend to agree with you, but I don't think we should be dismissing the aspect of how big of a role and impact Manny does have on us. Even having him out for a month is a significant hit for this team. But I agree. I think the team can still contend and be a 500 team. They're just not going to be a playoff team unless Manny Machado comes back and is a consistent um, benefit for this team. All right. Well, let's get to rosier news. What else do you have in the medical wing? Um, Nick Marquez was seen yesterday icing down his shoulder, um, probably with some arm tendonitis. He said he had some weakness in his arm, but he was going to be in the lineup regardless. So I don't think it's anything too severe. Just something to keep an eye on. Nick has been raking it so far with his power in spring training. Let's see if that continues out for the rest of spring training now that he might be having some issues in the shoulder. Yeah, that'd be a shame. I mean, considering how well he's been doing and, and, and considering how important this se- season is to him, not only contractually, but also, you know, to help the team win. Yeah. Uh, David Lowe is on a 48 hour shutdown. Um, he is having some neck issues. So we're going to have to see um, what that exactly means. They were also screening him for, for a concussion as well. Um, pretty interesting to note that, uh, you know, what's going on with David Lowe. Is there any possibility that you think the Orioles are trying to put him on the DL and try to get him away and put him in the minor leagues to start? Yeah, we tweeted this out today. I, I think it's very possible that legitimately or not, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he is hurt, um, but it would be interesting to me to see him start the season on the DL and two weeks later when Nolan Reimold is hurt and has to go on the DL, Lowe would be available to to bring in. It's an easy way to get around a roster crunch that they may have in that left field DH area. That sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. Um, I'm not going to buy it, but I like the conspiracy theory. All right. I worked hard on that. Yeah. Other news, um, Alexi Casilla um, is still not really playing. He was in the lineup for Saturday, but was ripped off the bus um, by the head trainer and basically said, you're not getting on this bus. And um, he, Alexi Casilla was pretty vocal about it, saying uh, Richie Van Sales uh, basically was uh, protecting his job um, and was very vocal about the Orioles not giving him a chance. What do you think about this? Well, I think it's an unfortunate situation because Alexi Casilla signed with the Orioles on a minor league deal because he figured he had a pretty good chance of making the club. And then Jonathan Scope started doing real, yeah. really well. And then there was the whole Jamile Week situation. And then Ryan Flaherty doesn't look like he's going to fall off the, the, the bus either. So, And there was also Alex Gonzalez actually doing right. very well for a 37-year-old veteran. A- absolutely. So I think Alex can see is between a rock and a hard place. Um, but you can't blame the Orioles for not wanting the guy to get hurt on his watch, particularly if they're not going to keep him around for, for a while. Right. And, uh, you know, first it was his hamstring and then it was a, a knee. I, I think that you know, Alexi Casilla can complain all he wants, but until the Orioles doctors say and trainers say he's all right, he's not going to see the field. Right. Um, other person I want to bring up is Matt Wieters, who twisted his ankle. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but just the aspect of seasons can shift very quickly in spring training. We've already seen that with various other clubs, with pitchers going through tendon strains and several pitchers. Dead going, arms. Yeah, dead arms. Uh, several pitchers going up for now Tommy John surgery and uh, starting pitchers and aces of teams now all of a sudden no longer being available for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that the interesting thing about Weeders is that they keep saying that if this is the middle of the season, he'd play right through it, and that, that may be the case. Um, but Weeders is important to the club, and I feel like more people are trying to to come to terms with the fact that he's not going to resign with the team, and when they do that, they kind of emotionally detach from him. Keep in mind, it's important for Weeders to play more often than not on this team this year. Absolutely agree. Um, Jake, I think we basically have covered the injuries through the week. You want to go back through the week and maybe go to the twat? I would love to see what happened this week on the Twitters. So uh, popping away from baseball just for a quick second, um, there was a free agency pop open again, and that was for the NFL. So uh, that began on Tuesday. And the uh, Ravens did make some moves. Um, they re-signed Eugene Monroe. They re-signed Daryl Smith. And they also uh, signed uh, Steve Smith. And Jacoby Jones. And Jacoby Jones. Resigned Jacoby Jones. One individual that we haven't really heard too much about, though, is Ed Dixon. Oh, thank God. Um, and there really hasn't been any talk from the Ravens of re-signing Ed Dixon or anybody else signing Ed Dixon. But we do have one source out there, and this is from uh, Ethan Felderstein. Um, you can follow him at at E. Felderstein 14. And uh, his source is quoted as saying, Source, Ed Dixon is getting calls right now, but he keeps dropping them. I love this tweet. 
<laughs> Ethan makes a twat on a pretty regular basis for, for tweets just, just like, like this. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So going back to the baseball, if that's okay. Sure. I saw a couple of uh, tweets like this. I'm going to single out Rockabaco, um, who, who tweeted out, Buck noted that there were 16 scouts of the game yesterday. Teams know, uh, know there could be pitchers available in trade. Um, I think that's really important to note that, you know, we've talked about how we're not sure how all these pitchers that don't have any um, uh, options anymore are, are going to make the club or not. Guys like Zach Britton and Josh Stinson and all this other stuff. It's interesting to me that the Orioles are being watched closely by the rest of the league. Yeah, I think people are saying, you know, the Orioles have shown a great uh, proclivity to pick people off the waiver wire. So if the Orioles are going to try to sneak someone through, we're not going to let them get it back into the minors. We're going to pick them off the waiver wire and scope these people right back up. So I think it just goes to attribute the aspect of how much talent really is in the Orioles organization right now in terms of depth that people are looking to fill into the organization. And you've talked about clubs very recently, as of today, who have come up with major injuries in their rotation and, you know, that may force uh, a trade or that may make a trade more likely than, than it would, say, a week ago. Sure. Um, other news, we're going to leave baseball really quickly again. And uh, the Terps uh, went into the ACC tournament and then promptly left the ACC tournament. Um, the Terps exited the ACC tournament with a whimper, losing to Florida State this week. Um, kind of bittersweet um, the way they lost um, – I'm going to go right to the tweet. This is from Luke Jackson. You can follow him at Luke underscore Jackson 10. Maryland leaves the ACC upon not properly defending a pick and roll. How very 2014 Terps. Womp, 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 womp. Yeah. Definitely uh, a poor performance, but again, the talent just doesn't seem to be there. The Terps have a top 10 recruiting class coming in next year. This will be all of Mark Turgeon's guys next year. If Mark Turgeon cannot um, make this team into an NCAA tournament team by next year, um, that seems like going to get awfully hot awfully quickly. I can tell you right now, being a Terps fan, I had a hard time watching the end of the season. Um, I, I'm looking forward to trying to start up again next year. But again, if they constantly come back and just show poor basketball smarts, I'm going to have a hard time watching that. That's the really good thing I could see about Gary Williams' teams is they might not have been the most talented team, but at least they played smart basketball. And he got every ounce of basketball out of those guys. Yeah, that seems really cliche, and you'll hear a lot of people say that, but... I really do feel like when I was watching, I'd be like, this is just good fundamental basketball I'm watching here. I just don't see that. Well, you know which team did make the NCAA tournament this year? American University. American University. Yeah, they, they beat Boston University. Oh, and by the way, the Terps lost to Boston University earlier this year. Yeah. You, you don't you don't see the Terps play AU anymore after American beat them. Yeah, They exactly. stopped inviting them to the Comcast Center after that happened. Yeah. But uh, American is going to play uh, number two, Wisconsin. So it will also be a short trip for them. And the big news coming out today uh, on Twitter and through the organization since no games were played was Chris Tillman will get the ball as the opening day starting rotation. Um, Rockabaka was the first one to break this and says Tillman is the fifth Orioles opening day starter in the last five years. Kind of interesting. I mean, he, he made the top of my list. I don't think you can give uh, Jimenez the the ball, you know, after only being part of the organization for a couple of weeks. Uh, I think this is the right call, and and I'm I'm glad they did it. Uh, I agree totally as well. I think the aspect is you come back and you reward the individual that gave you as many innings as he did last season, and who was also your perennial All Star last year. So, kudos to Chris Tillman for getting the chance. He had some great comments through his interviews, saying he didn't expect to ever be the opening day starter for this team when he was first traded here, but he's glad that he's finally being given the chance. I'm sure he's just giving it 110. percent He's going one day at a time. Hey, you like to hear that still? The aspect of I never really consider myself being this player, but. I'm glad that I have matured and evolved into this. Well, as a candidate for regression, I will say I hope that Chris Tillman responds to the challenge of being, you know, the quote unquote number one starter on this team and that he really comes through on on two pretty good seasons that he's put together thus far. So speaking of aces, let's take a segue and uh, let's go talk to one of our ace reporters that has just been down in Sarasota and find out what his experience was. All right.
All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sam Dingman Spring Training Report, where every year we take the hottest news items from Birdland South and judge Sam's insights and stories ranging from strikeout to home run. Sam Dingman (laughs) is the co-host of the Baltimoreans podcast, which is a sister-wife program on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, and we are delighted to be joined by Sam Dingman. Sam, how are you doing? I am doing great, and I would like to say that my goal here is to be more awesome on your guys' show than Alan was on Oriole Spastics. You know, I just started listening to that on the uh, drive over to the uh, Palatial SD Studios, so don't ruin it for me. I have a whole <laughs> whole second half of amazing podcasts to listen to. I will say, I will say, spoiler alert, everyone is just charming as a button. Wow. As a button. I find that hard to believe, but I, you know what? Coming from you... I'll have to take it as truth. We'll try to be as succinct as a zipper over here. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I like to hear. (laughs) All right. Well, Sam, we've brought you here to play a game we're calling How Cool Was Spring Training? Oh, man. Uh, Now, is there, are there, are there values at either end of the spectrum? Like, would, would, um, oh, wait, strike out to home run, right? Yeah, strike out to home run. And we'll throw other things in there as well, just like you guys always do. Oh, okay, great. Uh, I would say uh, that spring training was a Jim Johnson strikeout of Alex Rodriguez to end game two of the 2012 American League Division Series, which is to say cathartically fantastic. Wow, that's that's really interesting that you put it in those terms, because I've actually viewed it as a Daniel Cabrera beanball to the nuts. And the reason for that is that you asses talk about the beautiful weather and the wonderful Orioles and the togetherness. And it snowed today, Sam. It snowed on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. It can happen. It's March. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really amazing. Like I, I got into work today and it was, uh, it was 26 degrees today in Brooklyn. So, um, I mean, that's not actually, probably as bad as snow. It was just as cold as it's been all GD winter. Um, but I, what I was doing is I was sitting at my desk and I was doing my expense reports and filling out my spreadsheets like I always do. But every time I wanted to remind myself of spring training, I would reach up and touch the uh, top of my ear with my fingertips because they're sunburned from <laughs> being in the 80 degree heat. So it was just like a little way of reminding myself like just yesterday I was there and everything was good. I'm not sure if that's really endearing or really creepy, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> well, I would tell you that my coworkers now think I have mental problems, but <laughs> they're the just now figuring that out. On that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's a new realization. I think that's pretty much been just a reoccurrence of, oh, we're just getting further confirmation that this guy is um, different. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to go to the next question, which was, what rocks the most about oral spring training experience for you guys? Well, I would say for me, the thing that was the coolest was, you know, we got to see a Chris Davis home run, which uh, I felt like an 11 year old. I was like, wow, one of my favorite players had a dinger. Huh? Um, but that please tell me actually, you did that. Please tell me that actually happened. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan was like, yeah, you need to stop using that voice. <laughs> stop using that voice. So we're going to put you on the plane early. Why did I show up to the baseball game with a Muppet? Why did I show up to the baseball game with a Muppet? <laughs> did the 70 year old women around you kind of just get a little turned on when you started doing that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I got quite a few phone numbers, gentlemen. Okay. I, I'm not going to lie. Those um, granny panties were dropping. Chris Davis hit a, a, a home run. You were all excited about it. So Chris Davis hits a home run. That's really cool. Um, we got to see Suckman Yoon throw his first pitches in an Orioles uniform. That was very cool. Um, but I would say actually what was more interesting than the on-field action because as previously stated that's meaningless um was just getting to see um we got to sit really really close to the dugout uh on all three of at all three of the games that we went to see so you get to see the game more at the actual pace at which it's played and so when you see a fastball coming in from the pitcher it's less that you're blown away by how fast that is in real life and more that you think to yourself that actually doesn't appear overwhelmingly fast. But when you're watching Nick Marcakis, for example, observe this incoming pitch, you can see all the infinitesimal adjustments that he makes uh, to this pitch coming in. You can see him physically decide, you can watch his hands move down 
just a couple inches because he's like, you know what, I'm not going to swing at that pitch. Or you can see him like move, lift him up a little bit because the pitch is low and he's going to try to like swat at it and drive it the other way. Um, and that's not the kind of experience you get to have during the regular season when you're watching on TV or even when you go to the game. You know, I personally can't afford to sit close enough to watch all that stuff happen. Um, so that part of it was really cool. And then also, you know, you get to see people like we saw three days in a row. We saw Steve Clevenger. We saw Michael Almanzar. We saw Henry Rudia. We saw Steve Pierce two of the three days. Um, we saw Scope all three days. Uh, so we got to see all these guys who are in an out and out fight for roster spots. And you got to see all of them trying to take every single opportunity that they had to magnify the parts of their game that they think are going to make the team. Quentin Berry bunted a lot. Um, uh, Xavier Paul used every opportunity to throw the ball in from the outfield as hard as he could. Even if he had just caught a very lazy pop fly, he would gun it back into second base. <laughs> uh, Scope pulled or tried to pull absolutely everything that he saw. And when he hit it, he hit it hard to left field. Uh, but if it was an off-speed pitch, he just looked ridiculous. Um, and uh, Almanzar actually didn't do much of anything, which is unfortunate for him. Um, <laughs> womp womp. But, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Clevenger was, like, glad-handing with everybody in the stands because there's a lot of people from Baltimore there who actually knew him. Sure. Um, so it was just really cool to see all these guys, like, who know that this is a huge shot for them to be on what's pretty likely to be a contending team putting it all on the line. Okay, so outside of baseball, you're in Sarasota for the weekend. What were your impressions? Well, you know, I thought a lot about this answer. And, uh, you know, obviously the easy thing to say would be there are just old people everywhere, you guys. It is, it's one of those things that's like a stereotype that's really true. Um, and a fun phrase that was coined by Alan and I's host at the Airbnb place that we stayed in was, uh, you got to watch out for the cataracts in Cadillacs. Um, which we definitely interacted with a few of uh, as we were trying to get me to the airport with little time to spare. Oh, excuse me. We were trying to get me to the airport with little time to spare on Sunday because we, of course, stayed for the 10th inning of the game, meaning that I almost missed my plane. Right. Why um, would you not? It's the most important game you'll see in like weeks. <laughs> Don't say weeks. Don't say weeks. Talk about disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he did actually make one very nice, uh, leaping catch, but I couldn't help feeling like that's because he's five, eight, <laughs> um, but you know, to be honest, really, I think the most amazing thing about Sarasota was how much people there love baseball. Um, and I know you sort of asked about the non-baseball parts of the experience, but what was most interesting to me was how much you couldn't get away from baseball. Uh, because we would go to these parks and there were all these fans who had been there for hours. It just smelled like sun, uh, sunblock and clipped grass everywhere. Everybody was in their seats well in advance of the game. Everybody was trying to get balls thrown to them and stuff. But then you go out to the restaurants afterwards and we were sitting there in Orioles hats and at every single place that we went to, we had five or six people come up to us and say, guys down from Baltimore, huh? Were you at the game today? Did they win? Did they win? How'd they do? Who's looking good? Who's looking good? Uh, or people would say, oh, you young bucks. You know, I used to go to I used to go to see the Red Sox play when it was 90 cents for a ticket and beers were a nickel, and then I used to get drunk with Wade Boggs at the bar after the game. Did you punch um, those people in the face? <laughs> I, I, I think it, it would have been a bit of a fish-in-the-barrel situation. See uh, well, cataracts I earlier. <laughs> You're talking about um, you being the fish in the barrel, right? Yes, yes, okay. absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, I, I would, I would have, uh, I would have just surrendered instantaneously. Um, you could always just mention but, that Wade Boggs always looked better than a Yankees cap. <laughs> I preferred but, him know, in that Devil Rays pink, purple, green. That's a good point. <laughs> well, that that was an interesting thing too. Is uh, we met Rays fans. Uh, Both I, of them were there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a few of them. There's a few of them out there. Um, but that was just the really amazing thing is, you know, to be sitting in a restaurant, uh, after having sat and watched baseball all day and to have people shout at you from across the restaurant, like, Hey, uh, I heard Clevenger had three hits today. Um, you know, especially, uh, being an Orioles fan in New York, that's not an experience that Alan and I get to have very much. So 
it was really, really amazing to have the experience extend beyond the ballpark that way. Well, that's really awesome. I, I'm incredibly jealous of, of your trip. I went to spring training last year and had a blast and I just, I can't get over how much fun it is to go down there to, you know, kind of throw off the, the haze of winter to, to be in beautiful weather, to see baseball played after you waited all this, this time. And it's, it's kind of like a, this pilgrimage of baseball, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's like, and you know, I think, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, you know, Alan and I have friends and I'm sure you guys do too. No, uh, no, we don't. <laughs> I gave you the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, well, you're working so hard on the podcast. It's, no, no, we're not. We have time for social arrangement. Oh, well, see, I gave you the benefit of the doubt there too. <laughs> we drink and open the mics. C- continue. <laughs> well, you know, the, I mean, I guess the thing for me was, uh, friends would say, so wait, you're going down to Florida to watch baseball games that to watch people who aren't going to play in the major leagues play games that don't count. What exactly is the appeal? Um, and the appeal is it's that you get to watch the baseball that you don't usually get to see. Uh, you know, it's like getting to watch a dress rehearsal of a play with your favorite actors. You get to kind of see the more human um, craftsmanship that goes into the product that you already love. So it's like, if anything, it's, it's an augmentation of, of what the normal experience of watching baseball is. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes back to the aspect of you describing what it was like down there. And it's that childhood atmosphere of just going and seeing what the stadium is like and just seeing baseball play day in and day out, just the smell of fresh cut grass and everything like that. That's the kind of, you know, sensory imagery that, makes baseball truly what it is. And it's just a pure form of the game as opposed to a commercial marketization that commonly occurs with, you know, broadcasting up, oh, this game's on radio and this game's on television. This game's going to be covered by ESPN. Again, there's not always that news media out there. It's the aspect of going to the bar at the end of the game and saying, what happened today? Was it good? Was it bad? Was this individual good or bad? And kind of just word of mouth as opposed to let me pull up on my phone and see what happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the, the most exciting things about it is, is, and I would actually say that uh, of the three parks we went to, Ed Smith, where the Orioles play is certainly the nicest, but I almost enjoyed the experience of being there the least because it feels like a, just a baby Camden Yards. They've got a video board in center field. They do kiss cam. They do fan of the game. Um, they, they have like the kind of scoreboard cheerleading where they're trying to get you to clap and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, and the end, or what did I mean to say? And yet you're watching this on-field product that is so far from what you're ultimately going to see at Oriole Park at Camden Yards that it feels sort of disingenuous. On the contrary, um, when we went to see the, the game against the Blue Jays in Dunedin or the game against the Twins in uh, Fort, My- Fort Myers, I think it was. Yep you it you really feel like if you weren't at this particular baseball game you would never know about all the stuff that happened on the field you'd never have known that Nick Markakis made those little adjustments you'd never have seen how hard Steve Clevenger is getting after it maybe you would have read about it but you wouldn't have any kind of sensory experience of it because it only exists in this very momentary way it's defeated that whole um sort of highlight real aspect that major league baseball has been trying to create over the last few years. Yeah. It's kind of like that whole field of dreams. People will come, right. People will come just to see and experience as opposed to just, you know, be told what happened. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you really have the sense that the people who are there, um, everybody there has that values that very much. Except Um, for the people on Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. The the people on Saturday, it was like, you know, we, so we ended up buying our tickets, uh, from, um, a Yankees fan. On oh, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So we ended up. Cause sitting, you don't get enough of them where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, we, we just needed to feel like home a little bit. Um, so we were sitting on the third base dugout side, uh, where all the Yankees fans were sitting and, you know, most of the people who were there were, um, you know, they got there in like the third inning. They left in the seventh. 
uh, they hadn't like, you know, they found out that Jeter wasn't there and Teixeira wasn't there. So they were like, ah, well, what, what's the point of really being here? Um, and you know, it, 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 the other thing about it was on Friday and on Sunday, uh, Friday was the twins and Sunday was the blue Jays. We talked to all these really sweet people from Duluth, Minnesota, and from just outside Toronto with their adorable accents. Um, but, you know, they wanted to know about what had brought us down there. And we talked to them about uh, what had brought them down. And it, it just really felt like the kind of sort of community experience that you get at a small park um, amongst very dedicated people that even in spring training, you couldn't squeeze out of the Yankee fans. It just wasn't there. Well, whenever you try to uh, squeeze class or dignity out of Yankees fans, it always ends up quite poorly. So, And, and you'd think I would have learned that at this point, yeah. and, but I haven't. Well, Sam, before we close, I actually want to go back to something that we, we talked about actually before the mics opened up. And um, that was, you said something that I, th- I thought was just brilliant about how um, the spring training experience for you is really stacked up in a way that, that few other experiences have. And I was wondering if you could expand on that just a little bit so we could catch it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess, I guess what I was kind of saying is, uh, when you're a kid, I think there are a lot of things about adulthood that seem really, really appealing. Um, like one of them I always remember thinking is I always loved the, the idea of having an office that you go to, to do something. Um, and then you get older and you find out that a lot of these youthful things that seem appealing to you actually are pretty frustrating and kind of beat you down and have none of the joy that you presumed that they were going to have when you were a kid, except for spring training. Spring training is exactly as wondrous and and boundless in terms of all of it, the wonderful facets and components to the experience as you imagine it was when you were a kid. It's it's in some ways I even felt like it was even better than being at a regular season game because you're freed from this sort of uh, the stress that especially as the season goes on you associate with the stakes of the outcome of the game. And it allows you to experience all the little kind of intangible parts of baseball that are what drew you to it in the first place. Um, And, you know, that was a really nice sort of meta aspect to the whole experience was, uh, you know, there are some things out there about adulthood that are still good. Uh, That's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing Sam is telling everybody to go in tomorrow to work and to go right to their boss and say, I'm quitting. And when your (laughs) boss asks, why are you quitting? You're going to say it's to follow my dream of childhood and go watch the Orioles play in spring training. And because Sam Digman says you don't treat me well enough. That's right. So everyone tomorrow, good luck finding a new job. In fact, don't ever go get a new job. Just go around and travel with the Orioles because that's the closest you're going to get to being with your childhood. <laughs> from uh, from your lips to God's ears, gentlemen. Yes. Sam, all, all joking aside, I, I think that you've encapsulated perfectly the I think the excitement that a lot of fans feel not not only about the spring training experience, which you know we can't recommend enough, but also in in baseball itself. And uh, thanks for for spending a few minutes tonight and and sharing that with us. We hope that you had just an absolute blast at spring training. We demand we demand that when you come to Baltimore this summer, that, that you come see us so that we can share that, that youthful enjoyment uh, of the game with you. And, uh, hey, if you go back, let us know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, you know, that's, uh, it's kind of funny that you bring up uh, coming down uh, this summer because last summer uh, Alan and I got down, I think, to see one game uh, during the entire season, um, which was just an absolute crime. Uh, especially for people who spend as much time as we do um, preparing for and executing a marginally listened to podcast about the Orioles. That's more like Uh just talking about numbers though. So let's be fair. (laughs) Um, But I, one of the adulthood things that I did recently that turns out to be not nearly as much fun as you think it might be when you're a kid is to get a car. Uh, But I'm going to salvage the frustration of acquiring said car by using it to come down to as many games in Baltimore as I can this summer. So I would absolutely love to take in a game with you guys. And thank you very much for having me on the show tonight. I really appreciated the chance to share the experience. It's like, you know, I kind of, uh, I was sitting at my desk today in between touching the tips of my ears and thinking, um, 
I was just sort of thinking about how much, how quickly the experience is going to fade and how quickly I'm going to get back into just waiting for the regular season to start and being back in the sort of humdrum of my life. So the chance to jump on tonight and share it with you guys is very welcome. So I appreciate it. Well, fantastic. We, if, if you're listening to our voices right now, we, we compel you. You must listen to the Baltimore Ons podcast. You, you should subscribe. You should make sure that you don't miss an episode because if, if this little snippet is anything that you've enjoyed, uh, their, their podcast is so much better. Please make sure you go out and listen to the Baltimore Ons podcast. It is excellent. Ha! Well, I don't, know if, uh, I don't know if we can live up to all that, but I will say that we spent a tremendous amount of time while we were in Sarasota coming up with really, I think, a staggering amount of baseball puns. Well, so when you're that, in the car for nine hours, game, that's pretty much what you have to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's pretty much the way Alan and I communicate at this point. Uh, that, but that, so if that, if that kind of episode. thing sounds like your jam, uh, you'll probably enjoy some, some upcoming episodes of Baltimore Ons. All right, Sam, thanks for stopping by tonight. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. I look forward to checking out the episode. Now, Scotty, I'm sure that you, as all of our listeners will, remember that historic spring training run a few years ago where where Jake Fox was just unbelievable. He tricked so many people into thinking that he deserved a spot on the opening day roster as, get this, a backup catcher. And it's amazing how these group, Grapefruit League games can make us jump to these conclusions. You mean like the Orioles are going to go undefeated? The Orioles are never going to win again. Jonathan Scope will start second base. Baldo Jimenez is the best pitcher in Orioles history. Baldo Jimenez is the worst pitcher in Orioles history. Um, Nick Markikis is going to bat 500 with 90 home runs and win the Triple Crown. Alexi Casilla is the new Brian Roberts, and uh, Matt Weider's leg is going to fall off from we're going to cut him. Yes. You see, if you listen too closely, if you watch too intently, you will get sucked in to thinking that one thing necessarily will lead to another. And it's with that in mind that we do our annual show where we make horrific predictions about what will happen this next season. All I can think about is the prediction I made last year where Matt Wieters is going to be an MVP candidate. I got you beat two years ago before the historic uh, 2012 season. I said the Orioles were going to lose 100, 100 games. games. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so with that... Let's go ahead. We're going to make some some predictions here about the Orioles in 2014. Uh, we'll also go through our projections for what we think are going to happen with the standings and a couple of the um, awards awards yeah. for for MLB. So, uh, Scotty, what, what do you want to do here? You want to go first? You you want to go last? How do you want to work this I, out? I tell you what, we're going to mix it up. I'm going to go first. So, my first is going to be Zach Britton will become the fifth starter in this rotation and become the third best pitcher in the rotation by season end. All right, so you are on the, the Zach Britton train. I've been very impressed so far with Zach Britton. I think that he's shown a completely different personality and pitching performance that I have seen from him in several years. Well, I, I hope you're right. I just hope he uh, gets good enough to bring a good trade, uh, trade return. Okay, we'll see. All right, my first prediction for the season is that Tommy Hunter will be handed the closer role. All right, pretty okay. pretty simple, right? Yeah. But I think he will only lose it by midseason. Okay. I think that Ryan Webb will take it over, and will thrive, but not to a 50-plus save season. May I point out that one of my predictions last year was Jim Johnson was going to lose his closer, uh, his closer position, and Pedro Strope was the one that was going to pick it up. Okay. So just be careful with well, when you talk to closer position. Maybe it'll work out as well for Webb as it did for Johnson. Or Pedro Strope. The reverse lock. Okay. All right, my next prediction is Nick Markakis ends up with 40-plus doubles and a 350-plus on-base percentage, leading to his first All-Star game spot in his career. A starting spot? No, I said a first, an All-Star <laughs> an game spot. Okay. Yeah. Appearance. Right. He's not going to get voted in, but I think that he could get on the All-Star game by voted by the managers and the players. Okay, fair enough. All right. My second prediction for the season is that Chris Davis will improve his market value by clubbing 40 or more home runs while Matt Wieters hurts his value by having another pedestrian season at the plate. 
poor Matt Wieters. I know. Going from an MVP candidate all the way down to pedestrian levels. Hey, I never said he'd be an MVP candidate. Okay. Um, my third prediction is the Orioles managed to go 600 plus against the rest of the American League East, but cannot figure out the race throughout the entire season going less than 400 against them. Okay. Now, you know, we play like a zillion games against the AL East. Yes. Okay. So 600 ball against everybody else. Not so much against the Rays. That is correct. All right. My third prediction for the, for the year is that the Orioles attendance will increase by 500,000 over last year, 2013, despite the fact that they raised ticket prices, despite the fact that they grossly mismanaged their offseason with communication, uh, you know, they didn't get the promotion schedule out, that just everything that they've bungled. Comedy of errors? Yes. Mm-hmm. Despite all that, none of that's going to matter, and Orioles fans will pack the park, paint it orange, and uh, they will increase by 500000 over last year. Good job, Orioles. Keep up the good work. Absolutely. Well, as we know, none of that will come true. Yes. However, we are obligated to tell you what we think will happen with the rest of baseball. So, Scotty, let me, let me ask you, how do you see the AL East playing out in 2014? All right. The uh, way I see the AL East playing out in 2014 is Tampa Bay Rays will be your American League East champions. Ooh. Yep. The Baltimore Orioles will be in second place. The Boston Red Sox will be in third place. The New York Yankees will be in fourth place. And the Blue Jays will be in fifth place. All right. I um, I have your world champion Boston Red Sox in first place. Terrorist. I have a little team you may have heard of called the Baltimore Orioles in second. And the rest of my division comes out Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays. Okay. So basically what we're saying here is we don't think the Blue Jays can can bounce back in any meaningful way. And we don't think that the Yankees spending spree is going to buy them back into contention? Mm, yes, that is correct. And again, this could be proof of taking topsy-turvy if depending on how Tanaka does this season for the Yankees. Um, I think he's the ultimate wild card in that whole picture. I've seen projections of him being better than Clayton Kershaw, which I just don't see. And just like we said last year, last year when the Blue Jays had a big offseason, we said this could go 1-5 to five or 5-1. Five to one. Nobody knows. I think it could go 1-4 to four or 4-1. Four to one. I really think that the the division is is up for grabs. I, I have a hard time seeing the Orioles come in first, but I think all of those teams are going to be in the mix except for the Blue Jays. Yeah. It's a lot of turnover on that team, losing Cano and Granderson. We'll see how they do. I know Ellsbury was purchased, but Ellsbury just hasn't had that great history of being uh, healthy for the entire season. But who knows? We'll see what happens. I hope they get herpes. Yeah. Okay, who do you have in the in the Central? In the Central, I have the Detroit Tigers taking the Central, followed by the Kansas City Royals, Cleveland Indians, Chicago White Sox, and following it up with the Minnesota Twins. All right, now, I bought into the Royals last year, so I won't make that mistake again. Okay. I've got my AL Central being the Detroit Tigers, the, followed by the Cleveland Indians in second, the Twins, and uh, the White Sox bringing the up Royals? the rear. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's the Tigers, the Indians, the Royals, Royals the, the Twins, Twins, and the White, and the White Sox. Sox. Okay. All right, um, so we're both going with the Tigers there. It's basically a flip-flop between the Indians and Royals. Yep. Um, I'm going for the American League West as Angels going and winning the division finally. Rangers, Mariners, Athletics, Astros. So I'm having a major dovetail there for the Athletics going from first to fourth. I think those Angels are really going to finally hit their stride this year and be a first-place team. Well, the Athletics are one of those teams that are struggling with some injury uh, late breaking injury news correct right parker went down um and he's going to have season ending surgery um so that's a loss for the athletics but if there's anybody that can turn around really <laughs> quickly and just work up some magic it's the athletics so i wouldn't discount them entirely of it of that i i just think that you know looking at suspedes and everything i just think that the, the athletics are just gonna fall a bit further behind this year and i just feel like the angels are finally going to make amends and mike trout is basically going to drive that team to a first place Sure, he's going to reach down from heaven, pretty much touch the rest of them, and, and take them to first place. Yeah, basically. All right. Well, I don't greatly disagree with you on that. I, I'm having the Rangers ahead of the Angels, uh, followed by the Mariners, then the Athletics, then the Astros. So again, uh, we're not that far apart. I'm flipping my one and two team there for you, uh, but I see the rest of the division playing that out exactly the way you did. All right. 
Who are your wild cards? All right, my wild cards are uh, the Cleveland Indians again okay. in that first wild card uh, spot. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do the homer pick. I'm going to take the Orioles in the second wild card spot. And my last team out of the race is going to be the Rays. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, Scott, that it'll be the Orioles knocking those Rays out of playoff contention because I'd really like to see these these two teams develop you know, some heat between the rivalry. Right. Um, I'm actually going to predict something a little bit differently. Um, in in similar vein, I'm going with the wild card's going to be the Orioles and the Red Sox. And there's going to be a knockout game between the Orioles and the Red Sox, which I think would be really interesting. Um, but I think the Orioles will meet up with the race sometime in the American League playoffs as well, since I picked them as my American League East division champ. All right. That's interesting. Well, those are uh, how we, we see basically your playoff contenders. What do you see happening um, – well, let's let's do this. Let's do the NL, and then okay. we'll we'll do our conferences. Yes, and, and that's, then the that World sounds Series. good. So for National League East, I picked the Nationals, Braves, Marlins, Mets, and Phillies. I think the Phillies are just getting too old. I think they're going to fall down immensely, and I think the Marlins make a big jump this year. Okay, it's just a hunch. I I don't see that happening. I've got Nationals, Braves, Mets, Phillies, Marlins, but honestly, in that division, after the Nationals and Braves, it it doesn't really no, matter. It doesn't really matter. But I still think the Nationals and the Braves are the perennial thing. I just think the Marlins make some bigger moves than people are expecting. Well, here's hoping. Um, let's go to the central. I picked Cardinals, Pirates, Reds, Brewers, Cubs. Yep. And, and, uh, again, I picked the Cardinals, but then I've got the Reds, the Pirates, and then the Brewers and the Cubs. Okay. And for the West, I picked Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Giants, Rockies, and Padres. Okay. Now again, the Diamondbacks have been hit hard. It's Corbin. That's hurt for them, which I think is a real blow to that, to that, rotation i myself have the dodgers the giants the diamondbacks the rockies and the padres i I understand where you're coming from that but my aspect is paul goldschmidt will smash you yeah but he can't pitch not Um, every fifth day first of all i'm going to point out that chris davis is able to pitch so it's possible (laughs) that paul goldschmidt might be able to pitch i stand almost corrected all right who do you have for your national league wild card uh, berths my national league wild card berths i have the braves and the pirates Okay, I have the Reds in the first wild card position, and I have the Braves in the second. Okay, so we basically just picked the East and the Central of second place teams from both of our aspects. So yep. the West is not going to send an additional uh, team into it. That is correct. All right. So we've knocked out the American League and the National League at this point. Who's your American League champ? My nat- uh, my American League champ is the Detroit Tigers. Okay. I think you know they've got the easiest way to get there. They'll be the freshest in in the uh, playoffs, and you know coming from that that weaker division, I, I think it'd be hysterical to see them uh, beat out everybody else. Plus, it would pain me terribly to say the Red Sox. Uh, I think the Tigers do win their division, but I don't think they do it handily. I think that Miguel Cabrera actually is going to have a pretty nasty injury this year. And uh, my prediction is really that the Rays are going to finally win the AL championship and go back to the World Series for the first time since 2008. Unfortunately, they're going to be doing it over the Baltimore Orioles in the American League Championship Series. You wound me, sir. Yeah. You wound me. All right. Who will those two clubs be facing in the World Series? Who's, who's your, uh, who is your uh, National League champ? Well, to wound you further... The National League champion will be the Washington Nationals. Ugh. All right, I picked the Dodgers. Okay. Um, and now who's your World Series champion? Oh, I'll take Tigers over the Dodgers. Okay, I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Rays over the Washington Nationals to get their first World Series championship. All right. I, I kind of hope yours happens over mine, yeah. but uh, we, we shall wait and see. All right, now if all of that happens... Who do you have for manager of the year in the respective uh, in the respective leagues? If the Rays actually can win the World Series, Joe Madden is the obvious American League manager of the year. All right, I have uh, Brad Osmus of the Tigers. Okay, uh, I think that's a little bit of a cheat though because he's got such a great organization well, and the team is really good. So he's a first year manager, but he's he's basically dealing with Leland's acquisitions and, and I, goods. I understand that, but he also has to take over a clubhouse that was Leland you know, has already built everything like that. So having to pick up the pieces from Leland is a major challenge for any manager, sure. I think. So we'll see how the the Tigers do. And equally so, we'll see how the Rays do. Uh, my National League Manager of the Year is going to go to another first-year manager, and that's Matt Williams for the Nationals. All right, that's a good pick. Um, we'll see how he does. 
similar aspect exactly Davy Johnson going leaving and now saying okay I'm leaving I think Matt Williams can do a lot better with like players like Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper and being able to relate a lot more with them and having that persona and aspect of you know take it on the chin but just keep trudging along because it's a long season Davy Johnson was kind of just crypt taker trying to keep everything afloat well they went from extreme to extreme right you know they made a, a move for a reason right all right, I myself am taking Brian Price of the Reds. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked them to make the playoffs. I, I think that, that if they do make the playoffs, that he'll be a, a real contender for that Manager of the Year award. All right, we're going to do MVP and Cy Young really quickly. So American League MVP, I'm going with Mike Trout. <laughs> okay. No one could disagree with you in, except if they all pick Miguel Cabrera, who I'm picking. That's Mi- fine, unless he goes through a season. And he <laughs> right. I think Miguel Cabrera will have another AL MVP season if only, if only to hurt the chances of Chris Davis. <laughs> okay. Uh, my National League MVP is going to go to Bryce Harper. I think Bryce Harper in his uh, third season this year, he's only 21 years of age. I think he starts to tear the ball. I think he's going to destroy. I think he'll hit 40-plus home runs, and I think he's going to easily be you know, one of the top hitters in all of baseball. Which you couldn't see over this uh, audio podcast with my eyebrows raising at the 40 home runs. Um, I think he's a great player, and if he can keep away from tearing up the wall, uh, yeah, he's got a real chance. I totally agree with you about that. If he can keep himself you know, from being injured, he only played in 118 games last season. I think if he can play a full season, I think you're looking at your National League MVP. And look, I tease about running into the wall, but it's not just the wall. He plays at a high rate of speed. He plays with reckless abandon. And if he can take the recklessness out of the game without... Uh, without reducing the pure power of his play, and I don't mean home run power. I mean, you know, the way he runs the bases, the way he plays the field, the way he he goes about the game. If he can kind of get that into just a bit of control, and it's not so raw, he he's a scary guy. All right, no nationals talk. Move on. <laughs> All right, my guy for the NL MVP is Joey Votto. I think we've talked about Joey Votto before when we always see his predictions. He's always going to be a perennial top five MVP candidate in my head because of just how good he is at the plate. He's such a great hitter. Yeah. All right, American League Cy Young. I am going to go with Felix Hernandez with the Mariners. I think that he is going to establish himself with a higher win percentage this year with uh, the additions made in free agency. I just don't think that the Mariners are going to be able to leapfrog in that division enough and able to get into a playoff spot. But I think Felix distinguished himself from the rest of the pitchers by bolstering up that win and loss count, which somewhat means something to the old fogies out there in baseball land. Okay. I'm going to go with Justin Verlander. You always do. I do. I think that after taking second fiddle to Max Scherzer last year. And Annabelle Sanchez. And, and yeah, and kind of receding from that top tier yeah. of starters in the AL, I think he's going to come back fierce this year. Okay. Um, it, anybody that can be Verlander-esque definitely gets my seal of approval. All right. In the NL, I'm going to take Jose Fernandez. If only because I think the the potential is just through the roof with him. So you are supporting my aspect that the Marlins are going to be better than what most people think they are. No, absolutely not. Okay. Felix Hernandez won the the That's true. Cy Young on a terrible team. That's a good point. Yeah, but I think Fernandez has just uh, all the potential in the world. I think that he is one of the bright spots on that awful, awful club that had been down there in Miami. And uh, I think he's got every chance of doing it if you know he continues to build season after season on that that great promise. And then for my National League Cy Young, I'm going to go with Adam Rainwhite from, with, from the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. It's a good call. Yeah. I like that. So those are our predictions. Um, hopefully not all of them come true, especially the aspect of the Rays or the Tigers winning the World Series. But, um, you know, like I said, that's our, those are our predictions. So uh, anything else you want to add to that, Jake? Only to say that we are <clears throat> we're awful at this, and you can absolutely take none of this to the bank. There is no way that any of this is going to be right. But if it is, boy, we will brag. All right. Speaking of bragging, let's uh, go into the next segment. It's time, Jake. Is it? Yeah, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, it's that time again. It is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
In this segment, we basically pick out what we liked, what we disliked, and what was just embarrassing in the world of Oriole baseball. As is our custom, I'm going to go first because I like to let Scott have the last word. He's far better at this than I am. And for my good, this week, I'm going to go with a guy we've talked about tonight, and that is Steve Clevenger, the pride of Pigtown. Now, Steve Clevenger, we've talked about being an asset behind the plate and that he can use the stick. One of the things I think is big about Clevenger is that he has stepped up in the time where Matt Wieters has seen less time at the plate or behind the plate because of that injury. Um, in the last couple of games, he's had key doubles, been able to drive in runs, been able to drive the ball to the opposite field, and Clevenger is really raking it in the spring. I know that we don't want to go too far and say that he's you know the Jake Fox Award and all that kind of stuff, but his line over the spring is 545, 600, 773, and 1373, or 1.373. Steve Clevenger is really making it difficult for Buck Walter to pick anybody else to come north with the club and gives us a glimmer of hope that we might not have a useless backup catcher. I think the other good point is something that Sam made, which was uh, the comment he made where uh, Clevenger displayed some excellent fielding techniques in the field with the sweep tags. Um, I think that's a big aspect which Buck is going to want. He wants that defensive catcher like Teagarden was. Yes, that's fine that he's getting offense, but the emphasis is for a backup catcher, defense, defense, defense. And if Clevenger can display that ability, I think he'll be the backup catcher. Like I said, that's something that both of us wanted. I just thought Manel was actually going to prove himself, but he certainly hasn't proven himself so far this year in uh, spring training. So my good for the week is going to be Zach Burton. I've been very impressed with his control. His velocity of his sinkers is right around 95 miles per hour. If Dave Wallace has actually been able to transform Zach Burton and give him the confidence with his pitches and his ability to command them, we're looking at a very dangerous pitcher here going forward. In my predictions earlier, I said that Zach Burton would be a top five, uh, be in the, in the rotation one of the top five pitchers, and I actually said he'd be one of the top three pitchers in this rotation if he continues with this line. But I'm also going to come back to one of the points that Jake made, which was Tommy Hunter is going to lose the closer position. It's a possibility that Zach Burton could be that closer for this year if he keeps on commanding this this performance. You love Zach Burton like. I've got a Zach Burton shirt on, so... Like the Sroka boys love Mattis. Yeah, I do. Britain for uh, Britain for rotation, Britain for starter, Britain for closer, Britain for whatever. I like Britain. What can I say? <sighs> All right. round draft pick. I'm going to move on to my bad for the week. Okay. My bad is Miguel Gonzalez. Okay. My, my bad is for comments that he made today about whether or not he thought that he had landed a spot in the rotation. And he said in his comments... Yes, I've done what I've needed to do to make this club. I know it. Buck knows it. I think it's shown in, in my results. I don't love that message. I agree that Miguel Gonzalez should make the, the rotation. I agree that Gonzalez is going to be the fourth guy over Bud Norris in the rotation. But I don't love the attitude. I know it. Buck knows it. I really think that sends the wrong message. You had... Especially for an above-average pitcher. Right, and, and a solid pitcher, and a guy I hope but does well. Slightly above average, right. yeah. But you have the guy like Tillman, who's been named the number one starter, the opening day starter, saying, oh, this is a great honor. I never thought I'd get there. Any one of us could have done it, blah, blah, blah. And I, I mocked earlier for saying that, you know, right. oh, it's the same 110% quote. 110% and everything The like same that. quotes you're supposed to have. But, yeah. you know, maybe it's that somebody stuck a microphone in his face right after he got done pitching, and he wasn't really ready to compose himself and think. But Or bad tacos. Saying something like that is just bad. So Miguel Gonzalez is my bad for this week. Is he on notice? No, just bad. Bad, Okay. Uh, my bad for the week is going to be Ryan Webb. He had a very, very bad two performances. Um, he really didn't really confuse anybody at the plate. He gave up a lot of singles. Nothing really long or anything like that. But it's just the aspect of people have been talking about Ryan Webb being a uh, potential closer, and he just did not look that way that this week. Maybe he's working on something. Maybe he's working on his changeup or his delivery. But Ryan Webb, you look kind of bad this week. I hope he's turning around. Jake, ugly. All right. My ugly for this week, Mother Nature. All right, listen to me. Snow on St. Patty's Day is bullshit. If it snows in the middle of March, that's ridiculous. But when you start ruining people's spring training vacations with rain and tornado watches and taking games away from people that don't have the time to go back the next day, no. Mother Nature, it's at that point when you have officially jumped the shark. So Mother Nature, you are on notice. 
All right. Um, my only for the week, actually, I think yours was perfect. I mean, that would have been mine if you hadn't taken it from me. But uh, my only for the week is actually going to go to, I'm going to make my dad proud. It's going to go to Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay being busted for DUI, for having uh, prescription pills in his car, just goes to prove that the shield can be damaged not just by the players, but by the owners themselves. I hope the NFL takes a very strong stance against the owner of the Colts on this matter as they've made a very strong stance with players wearing different shoes to different uniforms to wearing uh, cancer awareness for their sick relatives and stuff like that and docking people with $10,000 fines. I hope that the uh, NFL goes out there and drops a significant fine or some serious ramifications on the Colts owner to uh, make him strongly consider and... uh, Heck, maybe even force him to go into some rehab that maybe his father should have done well back in the day. So, uh, Mr. Ursay, you're on notice. You're an ugly mother. Schadenfreude is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I enjoyed yours a lot better, which I normally don't say. So, congratulations, Jake. I think you win this week. Nice. Yeah. All right, Scotty, before we go, I just want to blow the save real quick. Go ahead. I have to say, with somebody as with with just a little bit more than a touch of Irish blood in me, I'm a little uncomfortable with the way that St. Patrick's Day is celebrated in this country. It's it's a lot of not Irish people doing a lot of not Irish things. Not certainly people that would be writing the the Ireland tour books we would be proud of. Vomit in the streets and wearing nothing but green for no goddamn reason is not something to celebrate a, a beautiful culture. This coming from the man whose last name is English. It's an Irish name. Uh, Okay. Okay. Gotcha. They invaded that, didn't they? All right. And with that... Is it a Northern Irish name? (laughs) Baltimore and beyond. I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Let's go get drunk. I'm on three drunk berry thorns in. All right. Jeez. But uh, I think actually, <laughs> actually, you know what? You're not Hold supposed on. to ring the bell. Yeah, <laughs> my uh, my tacos just arrived. No momento. We're we're gonna take a taco break. <laughs> Speaking about seventy year old women in uh, Florida and their tacos. <laughs> I hope these are really good tacos. This better be the best damn taco. Yeah, better ever. be the best darn tacos ever. I defy you to not edit that. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.